Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of Three Course Politics. I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And we have a quarantine episode for you today uh, with the ongoing coronavirus quarantine across uh, the United States and across the country. We can still record because we are in our homes and there's technology. So we're going to bring you a quarantine pod today. Uh, Hills, for the record, I am not quarantined. I am outside all the time, shaking hands and touching everything as, uh, as, as much as I can because um, that's what people sh- should do, right? You just go and go outside and just life is normal. <laughs> are you <laughs> are you coughing on people like in their face? Like getting um, the... When I feel like, like, like I have to cough, I find someone and I hold them and I just cough in their face. <laughs> I'm sure they really love that. I'm just trying to get more people <laughs> tested, Hills. I'm just trying to get more people yeah. tested. Yeah, you're doing the good work. <laughs> uh, so t- today on the pod... Your appetizer is going to be coronavirus and politics. What's been going on in the in politics now that the coronavirus has hit the United States in full force? Uh, the entree is going to be uh, all a, a status update on the Democratic primary. We had a primary election on Tuesday and the Tuesday before that and the Tuesday before that. And we're going to break it down what the results were and what the state of the race is. Your side dish is going to be uh, about life in quarantine. What are we doing? What are you doing in quarantine? What are some good things you can do? And for your dessert, uh, there may not be many of them, but we're going to give you some little bits of hopeful news for the uh, the coronavirus outbreak. What is there any sort of hope? Is there any sort of way that we can get out of this quicker? We're going to bring you what we know. Yeah, that all sounds great. And uh, just make sure you're registered to vote, regardless if we have a primary election, whether you get to vote in your primary election at any point. <laughs> Please make sure you're registered to vote. Go to vote.org and uh, please finish up your registration because that is the most important thing you can do to get Trump out of the White House. So we don't we long story short, if Trump wasn't president, we would have been all prepared for this thing. And the fact that he's president makes it we're in the situation we are in because of him. So please vote. Absolutely. And Josh has a really, really good uh, pre-dinner shot for you. And it's uh, coming right up. So here is your pre-dinner shot question. The question is, since World War II, only four presidents have served one term in office. Can you name all of them? So since World War II, about 1945, 1944, somewhere in that range, only four presidents have served a one-term presidency, and can you name all of them? I was able to name three, and the fourth one I had to think about and realize, oh, wait, like, that is one term. Um, so uh, we'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. Um, the reason that is our pre shot is because we are all praying to whatever higher power we all believe in that Trump is going to be a one-term president. Uh, I can give you a hint. It is not Barack Obama. It is certainly not Barack Obama. So that is your pre-dinner shot. We'll give you the answer at the end of the pod. Okay, so your appetizer. Your appetizer is all about COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus and politics. So this is not going to be a very uplifting uh, section. It's going to be a lot of tough news um, and just tough things to swallow, but it's important that we talk about it regardless. Um, so before I get started, I know, Hales, if you wanted to add anything. Yeah, this is not to make you feel bad or anything. This is just what is going on at the moment. Um, how are our politics responding and what does it mean to you? So the news is inherently negative, but it's not meant to be that way. Yeah, exactly. And just because, you know, it's bad doesn't mean um, that you should despair or panic. It just, it's, here's the information. And this all comes from trusted sites. This is CDC. This is World Health Organization. This is not just, you know, Alex Jones telling you he has toothpaste that's going to cure coronavirus. So this is all stuff that is real. It's all, and now some of it is a little more aggressive. Um, than what the sites, than what like the news sites are reporting, 
Um, but the site that I use is, um, and I'm not, Hills, you can put it in the show notes. Um, it's, it's a little more aggressive and it's a little more expansive than I think what like NBC or ABC or CNN would report. So um, this site's been very, very accurate and been ahead of the curve in terms of predicting stuff. So if you see some larger numbers, um, that would be why. So here we go. At time of recording, there are currently 241,762 cases worldwide. Um, of those, there are 8,989 deaths. There are 86,690 people who have recovered. So it's good that there are people who are recovering. The mortality rate continues to be pretty, pretty low, hopefully. Um, in the United States, there are 11,689 cases. There are more cases in the United States than there are deaths worldwide, which is pretty crazy when you think about how long this has been going on. There are 174 deaths, and there are 108 people who have recovered. And that's in the U.S., correct? That's in the U.S., yeah. I don't know what what your initial thoughts are on those numbers. So if that is that so far, oh, never mind. Um, what is the what is the the fatality rate? I don't. I can't do math. Yeah. It's, well, so it's uh, it's believed to have been around the world. It's believed to have been around um, three or four percent. As I do the math really quickly and stall for time, the mortality rate worldwide is three point seven one percent. Um, if you look in the U.S., it's been a lot lower, the, uh, the mortality rates. The mortality rate in the U.S. is at 1.48%. It was at 1.7% earlier. So, I mean, the U.S. does have a fairly, a fairly strong and robust uh, public health infrastructure. So I don't think – so that's why you see a lower death rate than U.S. than worldwide. But at the same time, it's also important to remember that there are a lot more cases, you know, so as, as more and more cases start to show up, it wouldn't surprise me if you see that death rate start to rise up. Again, we're talking less than 4%. It doesn't seem like, like, like a lot. But, if, but you know, if the U.S. were to hit a death rate of that, we're looking at millions of people dying, which is nothing to, you know, shrug your shoulders at. The, the senator from Wisconsin, his name is Ron Johnson, he gave a very short quote to the wisconsin newspaper and he's like well i see this affects 797 to 99 percent of people that means you know that means we'll get out most you know only three percent of people are affected by it i was like are you kidding me three percent of people is are like millions of people they're they're not i mean it could be him but it, he'll only care if it if it you know impacts him so yeah. I actually think the recovered rate, and I know the website you use is really good. I'm, I'm sure there are just people who got sick and didn't report their recovery. So it might be a little bit higher than that too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, these are people who have been diagnosed and then from that diagnosis have, have recovered. There are absolutely people who, you know, um, uh, got that and, and you know, um, didn't even bother reporting it just for just so that Ron Johnson is <laughs> aware of how stupid his comment is. Four um, percent of the United States population is over just over thirteen million people. You could take the state of of Maryland. Everyone in Maryland could die over twice. The entire state could die over twice, and you still would not hit the number of people who who would die um, if the rate because if america were, were to get it if everyone were to were to get it it's just it's, it's, it's an outstanding number and it's just it's totally unreal um that, that is Johnson insane say that yeah so let's talk about the economy now <clears throat> the dow jones as it closed today around twenty thousand and eighty seven. it was uh nineteen thousand seven hundred thirty two dollars when trump was elected so all these major gains in the stock market that he has made are now gone um, the trading has been halted multiple times a week. Whenever the Dow Jones or the, um, the, the SDAC, whenever it drops below uh, 7% at one time, they halt trading on Wall Street to try to give it time to recover and figure out what's going on. And it's been stopped multiple times um, over the course of the last two weeks. 
in many, many states, you have small businesses, restaurants, bars, movie theaters, airlines. Things are closing at a very, very rapid rate. And it's scary because when there's this kind of a crisis, Americans don't want to spend money. You know, you don't want to go out and spend money. And then these places rely on that. And there are a lot of businesses and restaurants and bars that can't go three months without anyone, you know, giving them any kind of uh, uh, income. And while lots of places are providing takeout options, you know, how scary is that? Someone has to handle your food. It's, it's you know, it, it gets scary. And so if you want to support your local business, the best thing to do is to buy them a, uh, buy a gift card from them and they can use the money whenever they, they, they want to. And that's the safest thing to do. But the economy is really, really taking a hit right now. And it's scary. And, and you know, it's, it's, you know, people are seeing their 401ks disappear. And it's, it's really alarming. Yeah, I mean, and, and with regard to the economy, I think some of this needs to happen because if you have 3 million people die or, or get impacted or some even less than that, if you even have a million people, it's, it's like a, a big disruption. But we could have been ready for all of this, to be honest with you. We knew, that, we knew about the coronavirus uh, for months. We saw what happened in South Korea. We saw that it came to Italy. And the government just sat, not the state governments, I think the, the federal government at mm-hmm. least, Sat, sat on their hands they didn't you know put things into place put different laws into place get the bureaucracy ready uh requ- you know orders ventilators do you know ask the army to come in and make hospitals we could have been really ready for this thing and trump could have said well you know what if we don't use any of this at least we're ready for it to happen and we were prepared and i kept americans safe he didn't do any of that he for months said it was a hoax uh, Fox News said uh, repeatedly that it wasn't real, and up until just a week ago, he like dismissed it. And we we could have been ready for this, and and the economy thing was going to happen anyway. But we could have done it in a way where the least amount of time impacted businesses, and they had more certainty of being like, okay, we're going to be out of uh, shop for maybe two months. But if we do this right now, we're going to be back in quicker than ever. But it may be like three, five, six months before we even get sort of to a place where we can open again. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely insane. And actually, just having like breaking news here on the pod um, is this is the State Department, um, and uh, well, the State Department has issued a do not travel um, advisory. It's level four, which is the highest level. It hasn't reached this level since. I think 9-11 or something it's, it's been a long long time but they're basically telling americans do not travel don't travel abroad don't travel it's about you know over long over long trips um and that's going to affect the airlines and you know the airlines have a lot of money but that's an industry that we can't allow to fail we can't allow the the um the hotel industry these are important industries that are part of our economy and, and we, need, we need to help them out if if we can you know and when it's uh, when it's airlines and big corporations, then the Republicans want to talk about you know bailing them out. But when it's you know the automobile industry and Obama's president, suddenly it's it's you know we, we can't afford this bailout, and we'll, we'll get there in a second. But um, let's move on to Congress now. Um, so what is what is Congress doing? So Congress at first passed an eight billion dollar stimulus. Um, no idea where that is. Just no idea. It's $8 million, we signed it, whatever. I don't know. I have no idea where it is. Um, then yesterday, uh, they passed uh, the Family First Coronavirus Response Bill, which Trump has signed. It provides free testing. It provides paid emergency leave to all who are affected. Now, what, what that means by affected means that you either have to have the coronavirus or you have to, have, you have to be taking care of someone who has the coronavirus. It does not affect people who are healthy and just have to close up shop because no one's going out. So it's a good step, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. Originally, the Democrat bill was going to give that to everybody. Uh, Republicans walked it back because why not? Yeah. (laughs) It is so interesting to see because the Republicans are doing like social services, which they hate, and giving out money and benefits, which they hate to do in every bone in their body if they have any bones left 
And so it's really interesting to see that like Democrats are really trying to help people and Republicans are the ones to scale it back. And it's like, hello, we why isn't anyone talking about this? That Republicans yeah. are honestly trying to scale back the help that it gets to people, like servers at restaurants and all that stuff. Um, and they're talking, the, the Republican administration is talking about over $1 trillion, over $1 trillion stimulus package and bailouts and stuff. In 2009, Obama tried to do this, and Republicans fought tooth and nail to even give him the 800 or $900 billion. Can you imagine... Republicans are now going along with this thing, and it's like, okay, we have to make sure this money is used the right way, and what is, where is this money going to? Like, yeah. who's getting a free handout here, and why aren't the people, like, we have to make sure that this money goes to the right place. And it's just such hypocrisy. The The debt ceiling matters to Republicans when a Democrat's in office, and we have to re- remind Republicans each and every day about this thing when Democrats take back the, the White oh, House. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the the Family First Coronavirus Response Bill also provides extra funding to Medicaid, food assistance, and unemployment. Um, there is a third bill that is currently being ta- tossed around. Um, it's going to be a trillion dollar bill, and this is going to basically try to put money into the hands of all uh, Americans. The idea is to give each American adult a thousand dollars. And, each, and, each, and if you have a child, you get an additional $500. So um, that's the initial. I've also heard $2,000 has been talked about. Um, and try to give them, try to give Americans the, that, that money as fast as possible so that you can, you know, meet your payments and that kind of stuff. And that life can go on for you even though you're not working. Um Trump also signed the Defense Protection Act, which attempts to increase the production of medical equipment like ventilators and respirators and that kind of stuff, um, which is great. I mean, these are all things that are good, and I'm glad that we're doing it, but this all should have been done a lot earlier, which leads me to the last section of this, which is the so what. And there's a lot to care about here. (laughs) Um, The first thing is that cases in the USA are going to go up. It's going to get worse because testing is finally happening. And we are starting to test people at a very, very high rate. So we're going to see numbers go up. And this is not going to, shouldn't shock anyone because we knew people were walking around with this for months and for weeks before people, uh, before the Trump administration decided to give tests. So this should not uh, scare I mean, it should scare you, but it shouldn't it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that these numbers are going to go up. And hopefully we record people who are actually sick, and then we can isolate them and quarantine them. Right. You know, if the numbers just go up and up and up and up, that means we are just catching things. We're not actually stopping anything. But um, we should expect cases to go up because that means we're actually starting to test people. Yeah. Uh, second is that people need to practice social distancing. And Hill's... I'm going to cede the floor, uh, the floor to you so you can talk about uh, boomers and college kids. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like the two groups of folks in this country that are not taking this seriously are um, folks who are, who are, you know, I'd say 55 and older and folks and people who are, you know, maybe my age, but probably 25 and younger. Uh, these are the two groups of folks who need to i mean there were videos across social media of really stupid college kids in florida partying and saying it doesn't matter i don't care you know i heard this doesn't affect me which was you know a bad thing that the trump administration just didn't stop anything you know that 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 knowledge of like it actually does impact people who are younger it just becomes more severe more often in older folks that doesn't mean it doesn't become severe in, in you know, younger kids either. Um, you know, and, and there are lots of articles written about uh, the older gener, you know, 55 and older, um, but maybe, maybe not 80 and older, but like between 55 and 70 who um, they have to convince parents to take it seriously. They have to convince them to stop going out to eat or whatever. And, you know, if we're actually going to overcome this thing, 
we need everyone to stop what they're doing. And the kids who are in college need their parents to tell them to stop. Like, I mean, it's just, this needs to be a whole effort. And all across the country, we have uneven standards. And and it's just going to spread. It's going to spread more and more and more until we get serious about this thing. Yeah, you, social distancing is so, so important. Um, and it's not, at least right now, it's not to the point where you can't go outside. You know, but if you go outside and you see someone who's walking with you, maybe you, you, you need to get on the other side of the sidewalk. Maybe you need to pull off for a second, let them pass, and then continue. Like, it's just small stuff. And it seems like a huge inconvenience at the time, but imagine how worse it could. I mean, you see people in France and Italy and Spain who are literally not allowed to leave their, their apartments. They're, they're not allowed to leave unless you're going to go get food medicine or you are an essential government employee and america could very very well be heading in that direction you could have military troops in the streets telling people to turn around or if you're or you know guide you to where you need to be and it could get that way it's not there yet and what we need to do is just social distance it's so so important um people and uh certain industries they need money now uh, there is uh, the idea of $1,000 a month being tossed around by uh, Mitt Romney. I guess Romney's part of the Yang Gang right now, Helsing. Yang Gang. <laughs> um, taxes are uh, postponed. You can postpone your tax for 90 days. Um, the interest rates are at 0% right now by the Fed. They said they have other things they can do, but who knows what that, that is. Um, and as Hills mentioned earlier... Um, we need to right now forget about the deficit and just pump money into the economy. And that's what people are doing. But when this happened under Obama, people, the, the Republicans were furious, furious that he was trying to pump, you know, money into a dying economy. And now, of course, we're passing multi-trillion dollar, billion dollar, you know, bills and no one cares. Yeah, um, I mean, complete hypocrisy and... There, there, you mentioned the thousand dollars. There's talk about you know there's going to be a I think a salary cap, uh, based on what you most recently reported to the high IRS. Just I think that makes sense because if you're making, you know, one hundred twenty thousand, two hundred thousand, you're still you probably have paid leave in that job. <laughs> you know, you are probably right, doing yeah. better than than a server who is laid off and is living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and they're thinking about doing this multiple times, which you know, boy. I didn't know we had this tool in our toolbox until now, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, so last two points is Trump is doing some great stuff. I think all the things that he's done has been the right thing. But it's all been – it all should have been done a long time ago. A long time ago. He should have been passing this stuff and prepping for it, right? And he, he continues to spread misinformation. He continues to call it the China – the China virus or the China flu or the Kung flu or whatever it might be. Oh, he's, he's continuing to, to, to lie. It was just, it was less than a month ago where he said it was all a hoax and said, it's all just going to go away one day, you know? And it's no surprise that the confidence in the national government is at an all time low. I think state governments have done a really nice job. I can speak that for the governor of Maryland, who is a Republican, he's in a really nice job with handling this. Um, and I think also there's a call for the media. You know, Fox viewers are 66% more likely to not believe in the coronavirus than someone who watches any, any other uh, show. And I know, you know, that the, the mainstream media, you know, the, right, the left-wing media is, uh, you know, so biased or whatever, but at least we wash our hands. Yeah, I mean, I, the fact that Fox News, I mean... You're gonna. Here's what Trump. Trump has done the minimal. I think he can potential. I mean, <laughs> the fact that he's president made this whole thing a lot worse. And you will see immense action from the federal government when states like Texas, Alabama, uh, big Florida, definitely Florida. When these mm -hmm. Trump states start to get coronavirus and people start to die there you will see immense federal action amongst you've never seen before. And the fact that because it's in New York, California, and Washington, 
I bet you is he doesn't give a shit because those states weren't going to vote for him anyway. You will see him act so quickly when it gets to his big states. I guarantee yep. you. Yep, absolutely. Um, the last bit is what can we do? Um, basic stuff from the CDC. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. Uh, that's the um, equivalent of, of seeing the happy birthday song to Oprah uh, twice. And you should sing Oprah happy birthday uh, every day. So wash your hands. 20 seconds under warm water with soap. Stay home if you are sick. If you Even if you feel like, oh, I can just press on. It's like, no. If you're home at, at all, it doesn't matter. Sore throat, sniffles, whatever. Stay home if you're, if you're sick. Uh, cough and sneeze into your elbow or into a tissue. We've already talked about the importance of social distancing. Uh, stay hydrated. Drink plenty of water. And please do not spread misinformation. It's so, so important to not spread misinformation let the CDC, let the World Health Organization, let the NIH, let people like Fauci, who apparently is missing, um, let all those people uh, tell you the things that you should do and don't, you know, listen to anybody else. Yeah, I mean, please, I mean, if you see something on online about where this thing came from, look it up, you know. Uh, yeah. See where see where it came from. Is that is that organization a news uh, a trustworthy thing? Is it a blog that someone just wrote? Like, just look it up. Don't don't spread something you don't know anything about. Like, it just takes a couple minutes to go on Google and see what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, Hills, anything else? No, I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, where is Anthony Fauci? And you did a great job. <laughs> Anthony Fauci is in quarantine. So. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a problem. All right, uh, your entree is coming up next. Moving on from the coronavirus update, we're going to go into what happened on Super Tuesday number three, though it wasn't as super as the other Tuesdays. Uh, we had a primary election this week. We're going to give you a full update on where the Democratic primary is, what happened, where does it stand, what's going on. And on Tuesday, uh, I don't actually, it's March, I think, 16th, 17th, 17th. I don't know the date anymore. March 17th, we had primary elections in three states. It would have been four, but Ohio had canceled their primary last minute and moved it uh, to May. So on Tuesday, Arizona, Illinois, and Florida all voted um, for their Democratic nominee. And the results were pretty, were pretty astounding. Uh, Biden won with 60% of the vote in Florida. He won with 57% in Illinois. And he won with 53% in Arizona. This comes on the heels of wins the week before that in Mississippi, Missouri, Michigan, Idaho, and Washington. Um, that those were the weeks bef- the week before, and he swept all those states um, last week. Uh, the you know the prior week. Um, but here's here's what what really astonished me: more than a half million more. He got more than a half million more votes in Florida. Bernie got, dis- I mean, much more than a half million more votes at this point. Uh, Biden finished with Florida. Right now, it says 100% reporting. Biden has just over a million. It's a million seventy-five thousand, and Bernie Sanders got just shy of four hundred thousand. That is a huge, uh, huge, huge defeat for Bernie. Um, and across those three states, uh, we looked at this the other day. I believe Bernie, and I, I'm just going to confirm this is true. Bernie only won three counties across three states. Yep. He won zero counties in Florida. He won one county. He was just shy of losing it, to be honest with you. Uh, he won, And that's where the big university in Illinois is. Uh, he won one county in Illinois, and he won two counties in Arizona. And the two counties he, run, he won uh, did not have that many people, uh, to be fair. Uh, and it was pretty close at that, uh, at that even. So... Um, uh, actually, I have to revise what I said before. Biden won with 44% in, in Arizona. I guess they revised some of the numbers a little bit. He won with 44%, so a plurality, but not a majority uh, in Arizona. So um, it was not a great night for Bernie Sanders. No, not at all. And Hills, there is still one county 
in Illinois, uh, Alexander County, that has 0% uh, percent in. So maybe Bernie can win that. But, uh, yeah, he won three counties across three states. He's getting crushed, uh, you know, in each of the states now. Now we have a bit of a break until April 4th when there are a couple more primaries. Uh, I think Hawaii, Illinois, somewhere, no, Hawaii, uh, Alaska, and uh, as well as Wyoming. So, you know, Bernie's got a bit of a bit of a breather until he gets slaughtered again. He really should just drop out. Yeah, I, I, we're going to go into that, but he, this is, it's very evident uh, that even, even in states he, he, you know, should be doing better in, it's very evident his campaign is, has not brought in as much people. But let me, let me take you through a couple of exit polls. So I will link the Florida, Arizona, and Illinois exit polls in the show notes. Overall, it's kind of what we've been seeing across the board. Biden wins overall on genders. Uh, they, we have a gender comparison this time, and he won overall on both genders. Uh, he Biden wins on middle to older age voters. Um, he wins more with non-white uh, and older non-white people with larger margins. Biden also does well in urban and rural areas, which is crucial because in 2016, Hillary Clinton did not do well in rural areas. Uh, Biden also does well, very well in the suburbs, too. Uh, with Hispanics in general... He has become more even with Bernie, especially in Arizona, and that's what contributed to Biden's win. But Bernie is obviously better with young voters by far. He's better with young voters uh, as white voters. He's slightly, slightly better with black voters, and he's much, and he's also better with young Hispanic voters. Um, so it's kind of what we've been saying all along. Biden is better with more moderate, older voters, and Bernie does well with younger voters. Um, of every every skin color, um, and I'm CNN did a couple of exit polls on trust, and Biden uh, handily beat Bernie on who voters would trust more in a crisis, and he more pronouncedly beat Bernie on that trust factor in Florida. The other ones were closer. Um, Biden still won um, by a good bit, but in Florida it was much more pronounced which will be crucial in the general election. I mean, we didn't have one on Trump, but still it seems like Biden has really cleaned up on Florida. So, Josh, what do you think? I think Biden has put some states into play that I think our Democrats could not. I think this is also coming at a time when, with the coronavirus, I think people are looking for a return to normalcy. Um, and we can do, we should do a whole other pod once Biden is officially the nominee about the Biden versus Trump matchup um but you know i think and then i think an imp another important thing else is on the night is biden gave a really nice speech as well he was calm he was somber his tone was excellent and he said multiple times he said you know senator sanders and i have a common goal we just had disagreements about how to get there but to the young people i hear you and i know what needs to be done so you see biden making that pitch to younger voters um to trying to bring them into his uh, campaign. But I think, you know, uh, what was really surprising, I think, was the amount of live voting that Biden got out, in, especially in Florida, um, of people who came out to vote for him, even though there was, you know, coronavirus going on. It was really, really astounding to see that. And I think that bodes well for his uh, campaign in the general. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. I mean, this is in the midst of a health you know, emergency. And I think there's another debate to be had whether these elections should be held at all during this health emergency. And that's something for quite another time. But <laughs> but I mean, I mean, they still came out to vote. I mean, it, this is pretty astounding. I mean, if Biden was a weaker nominee, I don't think he would be winning counties and states I mean, Bernie Sanders won three counties across three major population states. We're not talking about, no no offense to Idaho, but Illinois has much more population than Idaho, right? And so does Arizona. We're not talking about, you know, small states. We're talking about big population rich states. And just because you're a Democrat in Florida or a Democrat in Illinois or a Democrat in Arizona or a Democrat in Mississippi doesn't mean that you don't deserve the same sort of treatment from any campaign, right? For, for anyone to write you off and say you're just establishment, it's, it, that's not 
that's not right. It's not right. It's very clear to me that Joe Biden has put together a coalition, whether it's from fear or whether it's from anything else. Joe Biden has clearly put together a coalition that Bernie Sanders has not. And Joe Biden has very clear goals he needs to do. He needs to work on young people, Hispanics, and especially young whites. If he can get those two pieces together, he will be a much stronger candidate against Trump. Yeah, I completely agree with pretty much everything that you just said. (laughs) What's the delegate count like? Yeah, so let's talk about the delegate count. So going based off of just pledged delegates, um, Biden has 1,181 pledged delegates, and Bernie Sanders has 885 pledged delegates. So Biden has opened up a very substantial lead on that, and I don't – it's going to be really hard for Bernie to now overtake that lead. Um, If you factor in – uh, superdelegates who would only really come into matter under a contested uh, convention. Um, Biden has 168 and Sanders has 26. So you can see those are the establishment. Those are people who are in Congress, former presidents, that kind of stuff. They are all really backing Biden. If you add in total delegates, uh, Biden has 1,349 compared to Sanders 911. It's important to note, though, that when you are factoring how many uh, uh, delegates you need for the nomination, for the Democrats, it's 1,991, and that's only pledged delegates. So Biden has just under 800 delegates he has left to win against against pledged. When he uh, hits that number, which hopefully he will, uh, then in theory, he is the nominee and, and the. Right, right. So we have our next, uh, we have our next big set of primaries. I think the big one is April 7th, which is Wisconsin. Um, and then you have a bunch of, I mean, you have Puerto Rico in there. Um, and then you have a bunch of the Northeastern states, Connecticut, Delaware, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island on April 28th, if that doesn't get canceled. Right. Yep. That all that is uh, is, is right. So we'll see. But the magic number is one thousand nine hundred and ninety-one pledged delegates in order to secure the, the nomination. Biden certainly has the states left, and clearly he has uh, the, the infrastructure um, to do well. He just has to just close it out. It's now a formality. Uh, Biden is eight hundred and ten delegates away from securing the, the nomination. Yeah, and, and my bet is that he secures it pretty handily. Um, I think you were telling me, Josh, that Biden's lead with Bernie right now in the middle of the primary season is what Hillary Clinton finished the primary campaign with against yeah, Bernie. Yeah, just about, just about. Um, Biden currently is 296 delegates ahead of Bernie. Um, when Hillary won the 2016 nomination, and that's when superdelegates were counted and stuff, Uh, but her pledged delegate lead at the end of the primary, once every state had voted, was about 300 more. Uh, 306, I think, uh, was the number of delegates total. So if Biden gets, you know, 10 more delegates more than Bernie, then, you know, he's, he, then there it is. But um, the party has coalesced around uh, Biden a lot quicker than they did around Hillary last year. Yeah. Or sorry, interesting. Oh. Yeah, no, for for sure. And um, we're, what does this all mean? So what is this? What we, we saw election results, saw delegate math. What does it mean? Uh, as Josh said, uh, Biden is almost certainly the nominee. Obviously, things can happen, but if everything stays on course, Biden is poised to be the nominee and clinch the Democratic nomination. And this was a historic number of people who ran. I think it was like twenty or twenty-one, twenty-four. Something like that. I mean, we started back. Uh, we started back earlier this year, or late, la- you know, last year, earlier in 2019 and stuff. So it's been it's been a long time, and uh, he came out on top. And uh, Bernie has a very, very, very small path. Obviously, he's still in the race, and he could still win everything if something crazy happens. But 
if everything holds the same, he's got a super small path to win, almost non-existent at this point. Can, can I the talk Democratic. About, uh, can, I, can I talk about Bernie's path for a second? Um, I oh be, yeah. I believe I read, Tell me about his little his little trail. <laughs> I believe I read that uh, Bernie has to win every state. So yeah, so you have to win the remaining states, and he has to do so by a margin of about sixty to forty. That's almost impossible. Yeah. So that's, I mean, and this this includes Biden's hometown of Delaware. So, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, I I don't understand why he's still in the race, but we'll get there. Yeah, I mean, and just to tell listeners why that's not really, why it's not probable that Bernie wins, he hasn't put up that margin in any state this season. He hasn't put up 60, you know, 60-40 at all. He has never done that. Um, I mean, he came he came closer in California, but he hasn't done 60-40. And he also hasn't been winning states currently that of that margin, but Biden has. So for the fact that to, those things to reverse, it's not an easy thing to do. That would be a monumental shift in the race. So that's why we're saying that there is no way that he can do that because things would have to change dramatically for that to happen. And it doesn't work that way. Right. And it's, it's, I mean, and what's going to be even more important or more uh, important as we uh, move forward is that uh, the most important person in the race besides Biden or Bernie, Tulsi Gabbard, has now dropped out and endorsed Biden. So, I mean, there you go, Hills. I know that you were on the fence between Bernie and Biden, but Tulsi threw her support behind Biden. So there goes your, your vote. There goes my, when, as, as I say, as Tulsi Gabbard goes, Hills goes. <laughs> That's the saying. That's the saying. Uh, th- thank goodness she finally dropped out. Maybe the coronavirus gave her a little cover because, I mean, there were more people voting for Mike Bloomberg and Pete Buttigieg who already dropped out than there were for Tulsi oh, Gabbard, oh, no. who was still there. <laughs> it, gets, it, it gets better. Um, it gets hold better. Hold on. Keep, keep talking. I have to find this for you. Go ahead. Keep keep going. Josh is going to find there's, there's a good voter statistic about uh, how – small how few people voted for Tulsi Gabbard I mean at this point there she should have dropped out months ago you know more than that more than that I and there's lots of speculation that she may run third party she may run against Democrats who knows what she's going to do but if she does that she's almost certainly going to end yeah. her future in the Democratic Party yeah keep keep going I, I will uh I, I, I will find this this quote, so uh, keep going, Hills. I, I will pause okay. you so when, when I need jo- to go in. Go ahead. Jo- Josh is going to find it, but I'm going to bring you into what happens next, and we can pause for when he finds the Perfect. Tulsi part. Perfect. So what happens next? What happens next? We have future primaries. We just went you through it. We have um, Puerto Rico. We have, uh, we have Hawaii. We have Alaska. We have a spate of Northeast primaries coming up on April 28th if those happen. And the Northeast primaries at that point, if Bernie's not out by that point, that's going to be the end of his race. I mean, with those with those set of states, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, um, you know, Maryland was in that patch, but they, then they moved it, they pushed it back. Um, the, and the race is going to be effectively over if Biden does well in all those states. So Biden, what does he need to do now? Biden needs to build his campaign and operation. We kind of mentioned this last podcast, but it's worth repeating. He needs to build his campaign into a national campaign. Right now, he needs to, it's going to be hard, especially with coronavirus going on, but he needs to build his operation up to the extent where he can rival Trump, because Trump is just going to spend all of his millions of dollars in his to put in his campaign. He needs to learn how to campaign without big rallies. Um, this could be a bane and a blessing. This has never been done before, and good news is that Trump can also do this as well, or he would get his supporters gravely endangered from you know having coronavirus. But... We need, he needs to learn how to campaign, and his campaign needs to learn how to function without doing rallies and events, which are the bread and butter of campaign and political operations. So that's something his campaign needs to figure out. Two, he needs to make inroads, inroads with young whites and Hispanic voters. This is a huge must. He must do this. If he is going to be a strong nominee come November, he must have a way, whether it's a vice presidential pick, whether it's uh, working with Bernie to get those groups onto his list, whether it's working with uh, Hispanic groups or whether it's working with, um, you know, more progressive groups in order to get uh, folks onto his ticket. He needs their buy-in. 
And right now they're a little bit hurt because of their loss with with Bernie. But he needs to try and do this, and he needs to make a really, really, really big effort. That is a big, crucial thing for him. Number three, as we said before, he needs to develop an easy-to-learn platform. He needs to have three to four things that people know what he's going to do at all times, like Trump's build the wall. He needs to have Biden's make healthcare better. I don't know. He needs to figure that out, though. And number four, what Biden needs to do. He needs to focus on Trump's shortcomings and how he will improve people's lives. He doesn't need to contrast with Trump anymore. He needs to focus on what Trump is doing poorly, why it's done poorly, and how he's going to be a better leader than Trump because that's what he needs to do. He needs to just tell people why he's a better leader and also expose how bad Trump is. So those are the four things Biden needs to do. Josh, did you find the Tulsi quote? Oh, I did. I did. So oh, to give you guys ahead. a little background, um, this uh, <laughs> so uh, Rocky De La Fuente, he is a businessman, okay? Uh, give you a little background on, on him. In uh, 2016, he was a Democrat, and then in 2016, he, was, he uh, dropped out of the Democratic Party and founded the Reform Party. Then he founded the American Delta Party, and when both of those folded, he went back to the Democratic Party. In 2018, he switched parties to be a Republican, and has been a Republican ever since. He is 65. In 2016, he ran for president under the Democratic Party, and he finished below uh, Gloria Lariva, who founded the Party for Socialism. So he finished below the Socialist Party. Uh, at the same time, in 2016, he was also running <laughs> to be a senator from uh, Florida. So I don't know what was going to happen, but he was running two campaigns <laughs> to be a senator from Florida and a Democratic <laughs> uh, presidential candidate. In, 27, <laughs> in 2017, he sought the Republican nomination for mayor of New York City. So, you know, just he went from presidential candidate to, uh, to Senate candidate. <laughs> to mayor of New York <laughs> in 2018, he ran to be uh, uh, the senator from California in the Republican Party. In 2020, he ran uh, for uh, president in the Republican Party. And at the same time, he ran uh, to be a Republican from the California 21st District. California has no laws about the things you, you can run for. Um, so he is a businessman who, who likes to run for president. He's just very, very wealthy and just likes to run for president. Um, okay. So yesterday, uh, this was in the, so I should say on Wednesday in the, uh, in the primaries that were happened on Wednesday. So, uh, Florida, Illinois, and Arizona, Rocky De La Fuente, <laughs> again, a businessman who runs for president as a hobby received 33,120 votes. Tulsi Gabbard received 20,462 votes. Wow. So he got more <laughs> votes than Tulsi Gabbard. Yes. Rocky De La, De La Fuente is a businessman who decides to run for president as a hobby, got 13,000 more votes than Tulsi Gabbard, who's a legitimate candidate. <laughs> Boy, I mean, if, if I was Tulsi, I would have spared myself the embarrassment of dropping out way before that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, so, I'm so glad she's out now. Yeah. Fun little fact. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Josh. Thank you for bringing us that. That that Anything anti-Tulsi is good for me. <laughs> um, so last thing in this entree, what does Bernie need to do? What's What's the future for Bernie? So there are two things. One, he needs to drop out. It is time. It's very evident he's not being competitive anymore. If he was, if he was winning, you know, if it was keeping a 50-50, winning more counties or winning more counties, I'd say, you know what, he he still has a shot. This is a competitive primary. At this point, it's very clear he's not winning. He's not winning states anymore. Even Washington, Washington State was a state he should have won handily. It's very clear he's not being competitive anymore. He did not do the work to become a national candidate. You know, that's the second thing. 
he didn't do any of the work. He didn't clearly didn't make enough inroads with African-American voters. In the other podcast, Josh said that he didn't ask the most influential person in South Carolina, Jim Clyburn, for his endorsement. It's very clear, you know, he's, he did a little bit with Hispanics, but he didn't develop a message for moderate voters. He didn't give people a reason why they should vote for him if they're uncomfortable about Bernie Sanders. I mean, he just did not present himself as a national candidate. What he did was double down on his base. He expanded his own his own demographics that he was good in, but he did not do anything to further his candidacy or nomination. He was betting on a multi-candidate race where he would come out with a plurality of 25 to 30%. Instead, the uh, the certain group of the moderate wing, or what we say moderate, Joe Biden's actually one of the most progressive candidates with the history of the Democratic Party <laughs> as to be a nominee. Let's put that clear. Um, they coalesced around Biden and, you know, Bernie did himself a disservice. This is all Bernie Sanders's fault. It's not the DNC's fault. It's not any, the candidate. It comes down to the candidate and Bernie did not do enough. And I, yeah, I think at this point, whether you love Bernie Sanders or not, he needs to drop out because it's clear that he's not winning. Yeah. I mean, Hills and I talked about this yesterday a little bit. If you're Bernie Sanders and you know that you are going to run at the end of 2016, the 2016 campaign has come to an end, and when Trump is elected, you know that you are going to run again for the for the Democratic nomination. How you don't try to make inroads with African American voters is really beyond me. I mean, no Democratic candidate has won the White House and not done extremely well with African American voters. And Bernie, his support is just—it's less than it was in 2016. And some of that is Biden, who was Obama's vice president. I, I get that. But how you don't come up with your team and come up with your team and say, hey, what's the plan? How can I m- improve my um, my likability, my ability to get votes with the African-American community? And Bernie didn't do any of that. He didn't change his, his message at all. And still said he didn't put in the work. He thought that Hillary was just this establishment candidate and, you know, I'm just going to run again in 2020 and my message will be better than everyone be sick of Trump. But he didn't put in any of the work. And that's not Joe Biden's fault. That's not the establishment fault. That's not Hillary's fault. That's that it's it's not his supporters fault. It solely rests on on the shoulders of Bernie Sanders. He didn't do enough work with African-Americans, didn't do enough work with old people. And it's his own damn fault. That's exactly right, and um, that's what we think needs to happen. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens with the coronavirus coming in, and whether the primary is going to keep going or not, and what the situation is. But I hope that was a good summary of where the race stands at this point. Josh, do you have anything else you want to add? Nope, nothing at all. Well, in that case, we got a nice little side dish for you, and stay tuned. Okay, so welcome to your side dish. Um, this is again a, a bit of a change. Usually, we talk about something that we would uh, and would ask the other person if they want to hear more or less of this. Um, there's no there's no hearing less of the coronavirus. So Hills and I have decided that we're gonna have this little section for, for the meantime be called life under lockdown, which is really just a place for us to kind of say things that we're doing to keep ourselves sane, ideas for other people, because you're practicing social, social distancing, it can get very uh, monotonous to do the same thing over and over again. So Hills, what are some things that you are doing to keep yourself sane? Well, what I'm doing is I'm keeping a schedule for myself. I'm keeping a schedule for myself and I'm trying to fill in each day of what things I wanna do and when I wanna do them. Because if you don't have a schedule, well, first of all, if you're working, um, if you're working at the moment, that could be a good schedule thing. But, you know, even if you're working and your job is flexible enough, you know, schedule time for yourself to work out or exercise in a way, whether it's a walk outside or whether you're doing a video inside. Um, so I think keeping a schedule is a key component of that. Yeah, I completely agree. I also think this is going to sound silly, um, but I think like getting dressed is important. It's very, very easy to just, <laughs> you know, like roll out of bed and be in like sweatpants or like, you know, or, you know, pajamas all day. But I think forcing yourself to like, you know, put on a polo shirt, put on jeans, put on like just something business casual or not even business casual, just something that's just not sleep apparel is really, really important. Um, as Hill said, it's important to, I think, 
exercise whenever you can. I think, you know, um, Jess and I have been going out on walks. We try to do anywhere from a 30 to a 50 minute walk every day. And we, when we're outside, we're looking for routes that are, you know, um, less crowded. We're looking for ways to avoid people, but just getting outside, it's beautiful outside. And just getting outside, uh, getting that your blood flowing, it definitely helps to not feel so cooped up. If you can't leave, which is a distinct possibility in the future. Very distinct possibility. I think, I think you know, finding something to do uh, in your house, whether it is, you know, um, a workout video or whether it's, you know, just doing like, you know, push-ups or planks or whatever it might be. Something to just get yourself moving and active is uh, very, very uh, important. And if you are working from home, I think have a designated spot that you do work. I don't like to do work in the bedroom because the bedroom is for sleeping. It's not for working. So I use other parts of, of um, my apartment to, uh, you know, do work and record podcasts and stuff. But as much as you can, leave your bedroom area to sleeping. It will help you keep a regular sleep cycle. Yeah, I, to- I completely agree with that. I think that's a really good point, Josh. And another thing, you know, along with making a schedule and changing your clothes, I can I can validate the changing your clothes uh, really does help. I mean, obviously, if you want a day in your PJs, that's great. But it does help from, you know, if you're spending a whole week uh, doing the same thing. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, you know, why don't you make a list of uh, two things? You can make a list of things that you enjoy doing that are inside a house. Whether that means you go out to the store if you need to and get a canvas to paint, whether that means you order it, or whether that means you do more podcasting, or uh, <laughs> anything anything that you know you enjoy doing and that happens to be indoors, try and think about it and brainstorm. The second thing is uh, create a list of projects that you wanted to do, indoor projects. doesn't need to be like DIY projects mm-hmm. or anything, but right. you want to organize your music library. Could be a good thing. You want to watch a new show on any of the streaming services. There you go. You, if you, you have the time now to do things you say you never have time to do, make a list of exactly. things you want you you are, are make a list of those things see which ones give you the most benefit and most joy and then do it you have the time yep absolutely you, you have the time and the the more that we can socially isolate ourselves now um the more we will appreciate when this is over and it's important to tell people this this will pass this is not something that is going to go on for years you know this will pass and it will make you appreciate life more when it, it's over. So I have one um, more thing, Josh. Yes. Uh, you can also spend all your day watching, Googling Dave Wasserman and Steve Kornacki and become <laughs> election buffs like we are. Uh, they are the That's smartest right. people in this, in this election environment. And you can look up state and county data of uh, electoral votes. And voting for a primary can, you know, you can dive in with us. That could be something, too. Absolutely. And as we uh, continue to podcast, because we also want to assure you that even though coronavirus is happening, three-course politics is going nowhere. As we continue to podcast, we will continue to just tell, you know, just let, let you guys know what we're doing with our lives, things that we're doing, um, and help out in any way that we can. So that was Life Under uh, Lockdown, and your dessert is coming up next. So we, we, you got through the podcast, you got through some negative information, you got through the election, and we promise you some positive stuff. Here are six things to keep you hopeful about the coronavirus um, and about you know where think trajectory is. So number one, U.S. researchers delivered the first coronavirus vaccine to volunteers in an experimental test program. In Washington, I believe there were a couple of people in Washington State that were the first people to receive a vaccine. Vaccines are not easy to produce. You need to make sure vaccines don't have bad side effects. You need to make sure they're safe. And you need to make sure they work. So um, the usual vaccine testing period is around 12 to 18 months. You're thinking, oh, my God, could be shorter than that. But that's what it really, you know, if we have this right now, we're going to be good on it for the future. So that's really a good thing. And, and two. sorry, the other thing, good thing about yeah. that is that both uh, people have both. It was two people who got the vaccine, and both reported twenty four hours later they feel much better. So 
and only if a vaccine, it seems early in the uh, early reports are that it, it works. But again, we have to make sure this is safe, make sure there are no huge side effects. And once it does do that, it has to go through some, some loopholes. I think the government can definitely sidestep those uh, if, 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 they, if they need to. Uh, then it has to be mass produced. And then it has to be shipped everywhere. I mean, there, there's no miracle vaccine coming tomorrow. You know, it's going to be right, a while. Right. But the fact that we are on this already and that there are already people who have gotten it into their system is definitely a good thing. Yeah, that's 100% true. Um, another thing that's helpful is that lots of states are, ma- are making hand sanitizer free. I know the state of New York is actually producing hand sanitizer and is going to make it free for people just so everyone can keep it as safe as possible. Um, hand sanitizer doesn't obviously cure everything, but it's a good preventative measure. Um, here's something that was also helpful, but, you know, pollution has gone down. There are less cars on the road, less factories working. Um, that's something to be good with, even if it's temporary. Um, here are, there's some crucial ones. Number four, there are potential, this is very potential, antibodies being developed from people who have recovered. Obviously, people who have recovered have antibodies. They developed their own antibodies to the coronavirus and defeated the coronavirus in their bodies. Um, there are some potentials, this is very early stages though, that these antibodies in other people can be used to make a drug based with those antibodies in it. So, or whether it's blood transfusions or anything else. So that's something to be thinking about going forward. Still very early in the the mix. Number five, a mix of drugs is looking promising to treat some patients of COVID-19. We've seen some of this mix uh, studies done in India and also in France, uh, very small sample sizes, but there are a certain mix of drugs that were given to some people and, and I, I can't pronounce their names. Uh, and they felt immeasurably better and they actually tested negative for COVID-19 uh, days earlier than other people. Um, so um, in, in the United States, uh, Trump just announced today that the FDA was working on a drug like this, that they've had good, um, they, good progress with it so far and they're expediting work on it so there could be an antiviral drug coming out in the next few months it's still very early to tell on that though and the last thing is that uh we have signs that we can get through this china and south korea are we're both very and are currently both very successful in containing this virus you just have to put in really tough measures and put them in for a long time we can do this we have the techniques to do it we just need to do this as a country and we need our political leadership to make the right decisions here yeah i think the other thing hills i would just add is that this is something that we know what we have to do this is not something where no one knows how we how we contract it i mean the 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 most effective thing you can do is wash your hands that's something we should do multiple times a day anyways and the side effect is your hands get a little raw you know i mean that's, I mean, this is not something where we, we have no idea what we, we need to do. Everyone knows what they need to do. We just have to sit down and actually do the work. Um, Josh, you are exact, you're exactly right. Um, uh, we just need to do the work. We need to put the, the measures in place now so we can get out of this sooner. I mean, it's that simple. The sooner we do this stuff, the sooner we will get out of it. Unless, honestly, unless something from the heavens comes and <laughs> something is working. It's a m- m- miracle drug. Which we have to, we cannot bet that that's going to happen. Yeah. We just can't do exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So I hope that gave you some hope. There are six or seven things there that, that can give you hope that things are going to get better. We just will be through a period of disruption for a few more weeks, maybe a few more months, because we didn't prepare for this. <laughs> Ugh. Um, but uh, you guys have been patiently waiting for your pre-dinner shot answer about the, the presidents, and Josh has your answer for you. Okay, you have been waiting. You've gone through the sad parts, the uplifting parts, the primary, the side dish, everything, all to know the answer to your pre-dinner shot. So here is your question, again, in case you, you have forgotten it. The question was, since World War II, only four presidents have served one term. Can you name all of them? So, since World War II, the presidents who have served just one term are... George Bush Sr., uh, Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford, 
and John F. Kennedy. Wow. Uh, they all served one term. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson uh, served the rest of Kennedy's term, and then he got reelected. So he technically served two terms. Richard Nixon served a term, and then he got reelected, and then he left office. So he technically served two terms. But uh, those four uh, presidents, JFK, Ford, Carter, and Bush Sr., all served um, one term. And for some reason, it took me a long time to realize that JFK only served one term. That was the president. I was like, no, he, he got reelected. And I was like, JFK he did, not. did not get reelected. Um, <laughs> he did not. So, anyways, we are hoping that Trump will be on that list as well, but that, that's up to us in November. That so. You're exactly right. It is entirely up to us. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, but before you, before we go and before you go, we have a couple of important messages for you. The intro and outro music is by Brett Hiltzberg. If you enjoy us doing this, please subscribe. That means you will get the episode into your feed. You won't have to go look for it. You won't have to be reminded for it. Uh, subscribe on your podcast app. Please, please do it. Um, if you can tell your friends about listening, you know, it's always great to get the word out. You know, just just tell one person, hey, I listened to a really good podcast. I want you to try them out. If they don't like us, that's great, but at least they're listening. Um, so if you could do that, please share it. Um, and if you have any questions, please email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Uh, and thank you all for listening, and please stay safe. Yeah, th- thank you, everyone. Uh, and stay safe, stay healthy. And we'll be back in your podcast feed uh, as soon as more news breaks.